and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Welcome back to the Remnant Call. This is Brother Frank, and we are back with another episode. And yes, it is officially two minutes to midnight on the Doomsday Clock. Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Folks, um, this is not the time that you want to You say, you know, maybe tomorrow uh, I'll, I'll start getting right. It, it's about today. It's about right now. No one will ever be upset for living every day. Uh, like the Lord is coming soon, because if you live in a state of preparedness, well, you know what, folks, no matter what happens, you're going to be okay because you know uh, you are prepared and you are ready for whatever happens. And when you're walking in that kind of preparedness, the joy of the Lord will be all over you. And so anyways, just thank you all for joining in tonight. We're going to bring on Brother Benjamin Brooke again with us. If you did not um, catch last week's episode was kind of the precursor uh, to this week's episode on um, declaring a fast. And so now we're going to get into the solemn assembly tonight. And and folks, if you've never had been a part of a solemn assembly, if you've never um, uh, been anywhere with a group of people and prayed and fasted together. Um, look at all the revivals in the Old Testament. There is just so much uh, indication that almost every revival that happened in the Bible, and even in the book of Acts, if you really look what was happening when they were in the upper room, 10 days up there seeking the Lord with all their heart, almost every single revival happened the same way. And so why do we think uh, today that in our churches that we're going to have revival some different kind of way. And I'll tell you why I believe this is. I believe it is is because we have been taught that revival in a church is a slick preacher coming in with a series of sermons in our church for a week or a weekend or a couple weekends, and we call that revival. But genuine revival is different because genuine revival means that people are changed. If you look at the revival that happened on the Isle of Lewis, I read an article about some people that went back in the Hebrides Islands in the, a little after 2000 and found some people still living that were a part of that revival that happened there, and they said not one person was arrested in Barvis for 20 years after that revival. People, they said, were in the ditches. They were along the edges of the road. They were in front of the police station. They were repenting and weeping all over the place because the Spirit of God had so heavily rested upon those people, all because some people began to pray. Two old ladies on their knees in their 80s stayed up till two in the morning, night after night, seeking the Lord, joined in with some other local uh, preachers and, and men of the church there, and God did something amazing. Well, I've got a person on tonight that knows about the solemn assembly and we're going to bring him on to speak about it with no more uh wait brother benjamin are you here with us yeah hey frank hey brother glad to have yeah, you on you? Amen. Hey, you. amen 
Well, Benjamin, uh, I know that I uh, had was contacted by uh, people and friends, and you know, wanting to know or, or telling me, accusing us of leaving them on the edge at the end of the last program, waiting for this one. So, anyways, uh, I'm fired <laughs> up and excited, Benjamin, and uh, I. I can't think of anybody better to have on to talk about this than you. So, brother, uh, if you would like to open us up with some prayer and then just take us wherever the Lord is leading. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, you know, we can't really be accused of leaving anybody anywhere because these programs aren't really scripted, you guys. I mean, you know, like, I'm really looking forward to tonight. I can't wait to hear it. Hallelujah. Lord, these are... The whole earth is yours, and the fullness thereof, Lord, it's, it's all yours. And the souls, they too are yours, Lord. And you made all of these things for your good pleasure. And by your power, Lord, and by your word, all of these things have come into being. And you have ordained the time seasons and the generations, Lord. You hold them in your hand, and they are determined by your authority alone. Warned men that they ought to learn to fear you. But man in his blindness and his sinfulness, he despises your word, Lord, and he disregards your warnings. And so the fruit of their ways will be poured out upon them soon. Lord, out of your great mercy and as a testament to your glory, you've determined and chosen that there would be a remnant that would endure and a remnant would survive. And unto a remnant there would be given mercy in a time of judgment like no other. Lord, I pray tonight your word of truth would come forth and that the remnant's hearts would be pricked that you would bring, Lord, conviction by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we don't need more knowledge about the things in your word. Rather, Lord, we need the touch of your Holy Spirit to open our hearts. Lord, head knowledge alone is of limited value in this time. Lord, we need to know in our hearts your commandments unto this generation that we could respond out of the fullness of our hearts and that you'd be pleased, Lord. That your word unto us would not have failed. It would not have gone without an effect. But rather, Lord, your word would be fruitful in our lives and that it would bring forth a harvest of righteousness and it would bring forth, Lord, a season of repentance and a returning to you with all of our hearts, that a time of refreshing may come in our lives and in the lives of our families. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, brother. Amen, brother. Great to be back. Glad to have you. Yeah, man. we We're didn't leave anybody forward. anywhere. <laughs> brother, when it's going in a good direction, man, the people are hungry right now. There is a rent. Well, we have this little one-hour thingy. And it, you know, it's sometimes there's more than an hour to to share. So here we are. You know, praise God, Lord. I ask you, um, bring forth whatever word you want for tonight. Amen. And, you know, Lord, it's we could I could give 
I could give a message from my understanding, and but Lord, we really need to hear the message from your throne room, the message Amen. for this time. Amen. Please. <sighs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Brother, I just feel like weeping. I just feel Amen. like weeping. You know, the um, the solemn assemblies. Yeah, hallelujah. Praise God. We'll start with Joel. You guys, if you've got your Bibles, let's all turn to the, to the book of Joel. And I, I just want to read some of the key verses. But we definitely want to begin in what is sort of the centerpiece for the the commandment to sanctifying a time of fasting and the commandment to gathering together in what the scripture calls a solemn assembly. You know, in the book of Joel starts off from chapter one with a, a declaration that, you know, have you seen this in your days or in the days of your fathers? Has any generation seen what we are seeing today? And it, it's off the rails. I don't need to summarize the horror and the evil that is paraded before our eyes on a daily basis. The evening news, those two little girls in Goa, Syria, and, and bombs are dropping in their neighborhood, and, and the window blew out, and the one eight-year-old cut, you know, and just a little microcosm of the suffering that's coming upon the earth in this time as mankind reaps the harvest of 6,000 years of sin. In our own country, look at the perversion we've fallen into. And, and the perversion has come within the church. I was listening to a message, and they mentioned a, a church... Triple X Church. Have you ever heard of it, Frank? The Triple X XXX Church. Uh, I isn't that like for uh, isn't that help for people with pornography addictions? Yeah. Yeah, it I is. had a, a pastor I knew that uh, helped with some stuff like that. And man, have they gone off the rails? Wow. You know that Jesus isn't a judge. The Lord loves everyone. Well, the Lord is also. He also loves the righteousness. And he decreed Amen. that a day of judgment would come. And our, the church today, for the most part, is asleep. The people simply can't even imagine the judgment of God would be coming upon our time. But for those who can see the lateness of the hour, the prophecies in Joel speak out. And, and in Joel chapter 1, verse 13, we're... We read, gird yourselves and lament. You priests howl, ministers of the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth. Of course, sackcloth represents an attitude of repentance and of humbling oneself. You ministers of God, for the meat offering and the drink offering have been withheld from the house of the Lord. The judgment had already come at the time of this prophecy given by Joel. And the agricultural economy had collapsed, and the offerings were no longer available. So the admonition is that the people finally realized not only was the judgment coming, but the judgment came and was now beginning to come upon them. 
the prophet declares, sanctify a fast and call for a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all of the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord and cry unto the Lord. Weep before the Lord. And not the fake tears that President Obama would put on his cheek when he was speaking. He dipped his finger in water. Wanted to appear as if he was crying when he really they were crocodile tears. Real tears of mourning. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and his destruction from the Almighty it shall surely come. Chapter two Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord it comes, and it is nigh at hand. And so God's repeating himself, calling on the people to sanctify a fast, calling on the people to gather in solemn assemblies. And he talks about the judgment that is coming forth. And the scripture continues in Joel chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, this is after the Lord basically declares the judgments that are coming upon the earth. Therefore, also now, saith the Lord, turn you even to me, with all of your heart, and with all fasting, and with weeping and mourning, and rend your heart, tear your heart, not your garments. God's not looking for an outward display of religion. You know, the Israelites would tear their garments, and they would throw ashes on their heads. And Well and good if that represents the true condition of your heart. But if it's just an act, you can forget about it. The Lord's not interested in us pretending to repent. God's looking for a true repentance and to turn with all of your heart. You know, that's really been such a problem in this last generation, you know, with because iniquity is abounded, because the defilements are everywhere. The hearts of many have grown cold. They've grown cold because they've been divided. People still love the Lord, but they've found other gods to love. They've found other things to adore. These are the pleasures of Babylon. And so the people have been divided in their hearts. They don't seek the Lord with all their heart. Part of their heart goes after their wealth. Part of our hearts are seeking after our pride and our own vain, foolish glory. Part of our hearts are holding on to the secret sins that only we know so well. And then we show up at Sunday and we sing loud, or maybe Saturday, if that's the day you gather in his name. Here the Lord is admonishing us. Even now, even in these final hours, turn with all your heart and with fasting. And the, the reason the fasting is, is absolutely required is once your heart has been hardened, and that is the condition of the majority of the church. The Laodicean church, not only are their hearts hardened, but they're literally spiritually asleep. They have no oil. They're the sleeping virgins without the oil. And in the flesh, they're very much awake, but their spirits are asleep. They can't discern there's anything wrong. They think this is really the way it was supposed to be. This church full of sin and compromise 
is the, the Christianity that God desired, and so they see nothing wrong. And they consider us crazy. And I was at one of those churches, Frank, and I, I mentioned that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. I quoted the scriptures at a men's group, and the pastors, one of the men went to one of the senior pastors and said, hey, there was a guy at men's group last night, and he said we should all learn the fear of the Lord, and that the fear of the Lord was the beginning of wisdom. And the senior pastor wanted to know, I want to know that man's name. We should kick him out of this church. <laughs> They're going to throw me out. Simply because Lord, I believe the scripture. Have what mercy. Thing? Have mercy. That's just horrible. Oh, yeah, but that's the Laodicean church. They despise the word of God. They actually persecute the messengers of the Lord. And they're, they're in the same place Israel was in 2,000 years ago. They know not the hour, nor the judgment of God. But unto the remnant that would hear the Lord, Prophet Joel speaks yet again. We should gather together in solemn assemblies in a time of fasting, with weeping and mourning. And you know, I mentioned previously that if you go through the book of Joel and you study through the scriptures, the things the Lord commands of his remnant, you can make yourself a little checklist of the things that you need to do if you want to be part of this company. Number one, you need to have some disciplined regiment of fasting. And the reason is these satanic deceptions and the strongholds and the compromises, the warfare that is waged against us, it can only be broken through the power of fasting and prayer. And now some may dismiss my comment, you know, that you know, that we really don't need to fast and pray. Well, you know, and that's fine. You're do whatever's right in your eyes, condition of our lives. You know, I know a lot of people. I have a lot of people contact me by email. I've been around the country, and I've been around the world, and I've talked to thousands and thousands upon thousands of believers. And, and believe me, we're all the same today. There's a famine of hearing the Word of God in the land. Now, the false prophets have never shut up. I'm not talking about the false, you know, Toronto, Kundalini, satanic deception. Those people never shut up. Turn them off. That's not the Lord. I saw a documentary on Todd Bentley in the Lakeland Revival. It's like a one-hour documentary, and, you know, I guess that that farce has come back, and, you know, it's, it's shuck-a-boom, and, you know, and then they go into epileptic seizures. You know, that is not our God, my friends. When the power of God comes in the room, you will hit the floor in trembling fear for your life, and you will be weeping for your sin that has suddenly been discovered. But you will not be having an epileptic seizure. You'll be trembling in fear. Amen to that. And the power of God's coming. You know, we have to gather together in solemn assemblies. And, you know, what is the purpose of the solemn assembly? It is so that we could pray with 
a small company of believers who are on the same page, you know, where two or more gather. It's more powerful to come in the prayer of agreement. And it's powerful if people are in one accord. How can two walk together lest they be in one accord? You've got to gather with people that are on the same page. And everybody has to fast and pray. And your fasting and your prayer should be powerful enough that it produces weeping and it produces mourning. And as I mentioned, you know, I literally am holding back the tears as I'm speaking to you. Now, I've been fasting all day and I've been in the presence of the Lord and I've heard from the Lord today. You know, fasting opens up the, the cleansing of your mind. It opens up the third heaven. We regain our discernment to hear the still small voice of our God. We regain the discernment to know the direction from our Lord. And at the same time, the conviction that comes upon us, it begins to pierce our heart and we're ready to weep. And until the conviction of the Holy Spirit is piercing your heart, until you're weeping for your sin, for your family's generational sin, and for the sin of your nation, for which 300 million Americans are about to perish in the judgment of God, until these things matter to us, until we're ready to weep for the babies that are still being burned and butchered daily, our hearts are hard, and we're still stuck in the mind of the flesh. Amen. So, let's talk a little bit about a solemn assembly. How do you do a solemn assembly? You know, when I first began to focus on solemn assemblies, this was probably around the year 2000, I think, you know, perhaps a little before that, I didn't know anything other than the Lord had commanded us to attend one. And so I began to pray and ask the Lord, you know, I want to obey this commandment, but I don't even know what to do. And so, Lord, would you please open the door for a solemn assembly and show me what you want done and who you want to come? And so I prayed through the organization, if you will, of uh, what became two solemn assemblies within about a 12-month period of time, and in both instances, there ended up being a small group of saints that were invited, and the Lord made it, it was very clear, who God wanted. These were invitation assemblies, and now, you can have a, if you want to declare one at your church, you know, you're free to do whatever you feel led of the Lord to do. I, you know, I'm, I'm not a religious person. I don't think that we should be putting our convictions on each other. I'm just sharing with you what God led me to do in that time. If you could get a whole church to gather in fasting and in prayer, and people that were ready to repent and return to the Lord with their whole heart, then do it. By all means, do it. If you could get the elders to come and even the pastor to come, that would even be better. But if, if we're going to just gather and have uh, another church service and all we do is go through the, the 
the same thing we've done a thousand times before, and nobody's hearts are going to break, and nobody's going to weep from the bottom of their hearts. I'm, it, I don't think we're accomplishing the purposes for which the Lord has directed us in the book of Joel. And I will just give you briefly um, in each of these assemblies, the people that were invited were all led by the Lord to fast and pray for several days before we met. And we picked a city. People flew on airplanes to attend this assembly from all over the country. And we gathered for a weekend, but everybody showed up Friday night. They'd already been fasting and praying for several days. And on Friday night, the Lord made it very clear, the Friday night time together, everybody gathered in a time of corporate prayer, men and women, and there was probably no more than seven or eight people in each of these groups. And then the following day on Saturday, the Lord directed that the men and the women separate. The men went off and prayed with each other. The women went off and prayed with each other. And it became a time of repentance, a time of praying through, repenting of the sins of our country, of praying through and repenting of the sins that are in our families, and praying through and repenting of the sins we all committed in our own lives. And in one of the assemblies, there were people of different ages that had gathered. And it worked out perfectly because we had people going all the way back to the 1920s. And each decade thereafter was covered by somebody who came from that period of time. And so we were able to pray through the sins of America as they occurred beginning in the 1920s. And it was, it was an awesome time of prayer, repenting for the sins of America, from the sins of the Roaring Twenties to the events of the Depression to what happened in, in the 40s to, to the rebellion of the 50s and the 60s and you know from the insanity that followed as America lost her way to the murder of the babies the utter apostasy of the church, the counterfeit false prophetic movement, the, the actually the demonic spirits, the kundalini serpentile spirits that came in and have pretty much overrun the majority of the charismatic churches. And if you don't understand that, go on YouTube and look for the World Revival Satanic Church, and you'll find an amazing video that will explain it. Search it out for yourselves, brothers and sisters. And then, after praying for the sins of our country, each person began to repent for the generational sins in our own families, the sins that we knew had been committed, or sins that we didn't know, but the Spirit began to bring revelation. And then we took time to repent and pray for our own sins. And, and in one of the in one of the assemblies, 
the Lord led us to a time of of sharing and praying, and literally each brother took whatever time was necessary to explain to all the other brothers what was the biggest prayer need in their life and to understand the background detail so that we would know how to pray. And so each one of the men took between 30 and maybe 45 minutes to explain to everyone, to the other men in the group. And then everyone prayed for that person. And we went around, each one had a a turn. And that time of sharing and praying probably lasted between four and six hours. Believe me, it got intense. And people got real. And, you know, the Scripture says confess your sins one to another. And there's a reason for that. And I'm not sure I know all the reasons. I just know that there's always a reason why God tells us to do anything. And one of the reasons for having to confess your sin one to another is it's, you know, it's not that embarrassing to confess it to the Lord in your little prayer closet. I mean, God already knows, right? And you know he knows, so it's like there's nothing hidden here between us and the Lord. So you can say, Lord, you know, I'm really sorry about what I said or did yesterday. But there's no, there's no humility in that. When you have to tell a Christian brother, or, you know, for the women, when you have to go to a sister, and you've got to confess your sin one to another person, suddenly it's a whole new ballgame. And then the thought of, you know, committing the sin again becomes just repulsive, because who wants to have to do that all over again, right? But there's also something tremendously freeing, in confessing our sins one to another. Now, brothers and sisters, the Lord is very precise. He says exactly what he means. And he meant exactly what he said. He didn't say, confess your sins one to the entire church. I've seen churches where they would call up somebody from the membership of the church over some incident, excuse me, maybe a brother and sister fell and now she's pregnant, they're going to bring them up and have them confess their sin to the whole church. Of course, neither of them attended that church 30 days later. You know, confess your sin one to another really means one to another or one to a very small group. Brothers and sisters, only confess your sins the ones that you've been afraid to share to somebody you trust and somebody you know that really loves you. You don't want it to be your here, you know, your friend today and your offended enemy tomorrow that be putting your stuff up on the internet. And that's the reason why, you know, Satan has worked so hard to guarantee that many, many Christians would be offended one with another and then they would begin to slander one another so that the church and the body would become a very dangerous place where none of us felt safe enough to confess our sins one to another. Because without the confession of our sin, we remain in bondage. 
there's a, a saying that goes, and it's fairly true, and you know, it goes like this, you're only as sick as your secrets. And it's true. We're only as bound in sin. We're only as deceived in the darkness to the extent we have these areas that we're afraid to bring into the light. And by bringing it into the light, I mean confessing it one to another. So a big part of the solemn assembly is confessing your sins one to another. And, you know, we did have, I organized a solemn assembly for what turned out to be about 400 people, and we called it the Days of Awe, and it was in Idaho, in uh, north, up in the Sandpoint area. And people came, they came from all over, and it was, a, it was an awesome blessing. But when it came time to gather for prayer and for confessing our sins one to another, we broke down into very small groups, and and we told everybody, you know, the people that you've met, that you've recently become friends with, perhaps you've never known them before, but, you know, now we're going to gather in small groups so we can have a time of repentance and a time of confessing our sins. And, and you know, take the step of faith. And if, if you need to, take one person and go outside, go walk around on the, on the lakefront or, on the, or in the forest or wherever and, and confess your sins one to another. Take advantage of this opportunity. And perhaps it's even better if you don't know the people and you won't ever see them again. And everybody take a vow that we're just going to hear and we're going to, re- we're going to agree with the repentance prayers and we're going to bring the matter before the Lord. We're going to take it to the cross and we're going to forget about it. Even as God says, I'm putting your sins in, in the sea of forgetfulness. And I'm going to put them as far away from you as the east is from the west. We too, if you know, if, if anybody believes in our integrity as a Christian, and they're willing to come and confess their sins to you as an individual, you know, you have been honored because somebody thinks that you're a true Christian. Don't disappoint them and betray them. Amen to that. You know, consider what you're, you're serving. The, you're actually doing the will of God, allowing them to repent to you. And then you stand in agreement. You restore them in prayer. You war over them. Now, if you choose to remember the person, remember them in your prayers. But don't remember their sins and don't ever repeat what you've heard. Put it in the place of forgetfulness. Pray that the Lord would literally... Remove it from your mind. We don't need to be gossiping one against another. You know, you guys probably have experienced similar things. You know what I'm talking about. There's, you just can't even seem to trust a Christian anymore. I don't know if you've had similar experiences to me. That seems to be the norm. Many offended. Many shall be offended in that hour and shall hate one another. You're like, what did I do? You know, now they hate you. Before they, it was brother, we love you. Now they hate you. But you know what? There is a little remnant out there whose hearts are true to the Lord. Find one of them at a solemn assembly. Find one of them. You know, and perhaps it's your spouse. Perhaps it's an actual brother in your in your household. Find, pray that the Lord would open a door. 
for you to attend a solemn assembly of your own and to gather together with like-minded believers in a time of fasting and prayer. You guys, I don't, the fasting, it just turns off the flesh. You know, now I know the flesh is going to fight you in, in times of fasting. And, you know, and it's going to scream and it's going to want to still rule the day. But you can take authority over your flesh when you're beginning to fast and your flesh is beginning to throw a little temper tantrum, you can exercise dominion over your flesh because God gave you dominion, and it definitely extends over your own vessel. And so what I do when my flesh starts yelling at me about fasting and demanding that I go feed it, I literally speak to my flesh out loud, and I say, Flesh, you were crucified with Jesus spiritually because you're part because I am part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the ecclesia. I have been elected by my Father unto salvation and thank you Lord. And so have many of those that are hearing my words through this program. We've been chosen unto eternal life in Christ Jesus. Therefore, in the death of Jesus we died. Our natural man died. Our Adamic nature died. Our flesh died. And as a result of the death that occurred at the cross, in which we, we, can re- we can receive this death, the power of his death can come into our life and can put to death our flesh. So I say to my flesh, flesh, you died in Jesus. You are a dead man now. I command you to get back in the grave, get back into the ground, and I command you to shut up. I don't wish to hear from you again. You guys, your flesh will obey you. <laughs> it does. Try it sometime. Your flesh will shut up. Your spirit man will take the position of authority, begin ruling and reigning over your life. And your soul will now turn to your spirit man for guidance instead of your flesh. You know, the Laodicean church, the compromised church, the, the church in which the great falling away has occurred, the flesh is running riot in everybody's life. And as a result, everybody, their souls are looking to the natural appetite for guidance. And, you know, whatever you feed is what gets stronger. We've all been feeding our flesh and starving our spirit man. So the time of fasting and praying and the solemn assemblies are to turn that all around. And, you know, the Lord says, again, in in Joel chapter 2, you know, that if you rend your hearts, and not your garments. You know, this is a serious heart issue. And if you turn to the Lord with all your heart, the Lord is gracious. Oh, He is. He's full of grace. Grace was originated. It's the essence of the heart of God. And merciful. And He's slow to anger. He's been so patient with every one of us. Even now, as we approach the beginning of the judgment, the Lord still calling out to the remnant of his people, and he's full of great kindness, and he repents of the evil. He wants to repent of the evil that would come forth in the lives of his people if they would only return to him. That evil doesn't have to touch them. And it says in verse 14, who knows if he will return and repent? The Lord might actually change. You know, if we repent, God's going to say, okay, no, I'm not I'm not going to bring the sword into that home. 
I'm not going to turn that family over to the persecutors. I'm going to gather them among my remnant. They're now mine. They've consecrated their lives back onto me. Therefore, I protect that which is mine. Protect that which is mine, says the Lord. And it says, who knows if he won't return and leave a blessing. You see, as the Lord comes in visitation of the earth, brothers and sisters, and that's what this time is all about. The Lord's going to come and walk among us. The true presence of God is going to come. And in some, and he's going to come first unto his own people. Oh, yeah, well, of course he would. Who would you go visit if you were going to a foreign country? You'd go own, You'd go visit your family and your friends. You'd see them first. Same with God. When Jesus comes to visit the earth, first thing First thing he's going to do is come to your house. You know, I tell people, the judgment of Almighty God and the judgment of the entire earth begins in my house. Yeah, for sure. He goes to the elders first and to the leaders and to the ones that he called to come and teach. We're going to see the Lord first. And he better be pleased with what he finds in our dwelling. And he better find the fire of his Holy Spirit in our vessels. And he better find hearts that are pure and holy unto him. And then he will have his angels write his name on our forehead. And then we're going to be fine. We will be protected in what is about to happen. Who knows if he will return and leave a blessing, even a meat offering and a drink offering. Here God is restoring the provision under the remnant. If you read the book of Joel, go study it for yourself. The, the land had been devastated. The famine had already occurred, and the locusts and the, all the other insects had come through and had literally devoured everything. There wasn't any offering for the temple service, and God had interrupted everybody's life with the judgment. And, and now the Lord is saying, you know, who knows, if you seek me and you return to me, when I come in visitation, I'm going to leave a blessing in your house. You know, read the rest of the scriptures. There's several places where the east wind, which is called Moriah, which is the forces of darkness that come forth and, and bring the fruit. They bring the wages of death. They bring the fruit of the curse. And, and then when they come upon one of the dwellings of the righteous, when they come to the camp and to the tents of the righteous, the angels say, no, touch not this one, for the blessing of the Lord is here. And so they have to pass over. Even as the angel of death passed over in the, in the land of Goshen, in, in the days of Moses and Pharaoh. Even as the fast of Esther, which by the way, that's today, tonight, we've entered into Purim, which is the the feast to celebrate the deliverance of Israel from, from Haman. And so, you know, the people were blessed. And, and so, too, the remnant that responds will be blessed of the Lord. And, and in Joel 2, verse 15, the Lord repeats himself again. He knows we don't listen so well. And things that are really important, God has to repeat them. Just like you know, when you're talking to your kids, you know they're not really listening half the time. So if it's something that you really want them to get, you repeat it. And again, in verse 15, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Okay, this is not a suggestion. This is God's direction 
for those who see the day of the Lord coming upon them. And again we see in verse 17, let the priest and the ministers weep before the porch and the altar. And let them cry out, spare thy people. You are to go and stand in the gap for the deliverance of your family, for the deliverance of your friends, for the deliverance of the remnant. And I would ask you, brothers and sisters, remember me in your prayers as well. Because I pay a price for bringing these messages to you guys. And I'm not talking about in terms of time or in, in terms of cost and you know, Babylonian terms. I'm talking about in the spirit world. The enemy would surely like to shut me up. You know, there's a lot of voices out there today, but there's not a lot of people that are given the directions that are coming forth for the salvation of the remnant. And Satan's furious that he's not going to kill all of you. You know, he knows he can't stop you from going to heaven, but he wants to, he wants to spoil your life before you get there. He wants to steal your crown. He wants to ruin your testimony. And he wants to give... He wants to do as much damage to you and to your children and to your children's children as possible. And that's the reason for everything that's happened in the last 50 years. Putting the church to sleep, poisoning us with the food. But the Lord has a, a prescription, a solution, and it's fasting and prayer, and gathering in solemn assemblies. And, and then the Lord says that we should pray, spare thy people. This is Joel 2, verse 17. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not your heritage to reproach, and give not your children and these little, these little small children. Don't give them to the beast, O Lord. Why should the beast rule over them? And why should the people who don't know the Lord, why should the wicked say, where is their God? And look at verse 18. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and show pity to his people. Yes, the Lord will answer. And he will say unto his people, Behold, I will send you corn. Okay, the handful of corn, a picture of the anointed ones. And wine and oil, the anointing from on high. And you'll be satisfied. The joy of the Spirit, the joy of the Lord will satisfy us and will, will become our strength once again. And I will no more make you a reproach unto the heathen. And I will remove away, far away from you the army that I sent. Fear not, O land, and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid of the beasts of the field. Don't be afraid of the beast or the, the things that are going to happen. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord, for your God has given you the former rain modestly. And he will cause to come down for you both the former and the latter rain in the first month. Well, when is the first month, brothers and sisters? When, when is the first month out of the year? When does Nissan start anyway? Oh, it's in 30 days from now. Praise God. The former and the latter rain, that's a double portion anointing, brothers and sisters. It's going to come forth. In the first month of the year, you know, perhaps it's this Nissan to tell you guys the truth. And, you know, a lot of times people get mad at me because they, I teach things that don't line up with what they, you know, came up with on their own using their knowledge of good and evil. Or, or I teach stuff different than they read in some book written by some man. 
Brothers and sisters, I don't come among you to speculate. And, and I don't come among you to share my opinions either. I, I bear witness of what I know the Lord has revealed. And, you know, I am not one of the great saints, so, you know, let's just get that clear, all right? You know, he who's been forgiven much will love much. I love the Lord. Everything in me, everything in me is sold out for my God. And I'll pay the price. You know, I have the same stupid flesh you do. And all of us in the flesh are stupid. I mean, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just trying to be clear, right? Anytime we respond in the flesh, I got news for you. That was a dumb idea, right? You guys know that. But I came to bear the truth. Listen, when you fast and pray, when you gather in solemn assemblies, you get the latter and the former reign. <laughs> you get that double portion, brothers and sisters. I mean, the, move, the powerful moves of God that I've witnessed. But I will tell you, you need to pray through carefully. And now, you know, be anxious for nothing, all right, you guys? So, you know, have faith and, and you know, do this by the Spirit. But also understand, you've got to have the right people at your solemn assembly. Um, one of the assemblies that I attended, there was maybe eight people invited, okay, and they all had been chosen by the Lord. And one of the women just decided at the last minute, she, you know, a friend of hers said, hey, you know, can I go with you? She's like, yeah, sure, why not? Come along. So she added one more person. And, you know, that person seemed sincere and seemed a devout believer. Uh, but I kind of had a check. You know, the minute I was introduced to this person at the assembly, I knew something wasn't quite right. You know, and it's not that they weren't a believer. It's just they weren't on the page of desperate to find the Lord. They were still on the page of, you know what, this playing church thing's working just fine. Let's name it and claim it, and, you know, we'll, we'll declare, you know, we'll deny reality, and we'll declare our fantasies, and, and, we'll, and we'll call it faith. We'll just say we're seeking the Lord with our whole heart, but we're not weeping yet. We're not ready to weep and tear our hearts and not our garments. We're just going to, you know, play the game. Well... Literally, a brother drove 18 hours, showed up the next day, had driven 18 hours to come to this, the solemn assembly. And he literally comes in and he says, I need to talk to you. The Lord told me you've gathered in this solemn assembly and Satan has put somebody here that is going to hinder the entire move of the Spirit. And, you know, because you can't, You've got to be in agreement, you know. I mean, Jesus couldn't heal. He couldn't do very many miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. You know, the, if you hang out with people that are on the pretender, they're doing pretend, or what I call pretentious, you know, the faith of pretense Christianity, they're not going to enter in, okay? They're going to stay in the outer court pretending to enter in. This guy told me somebody's here and the Lord's going to remove them. The next morning, I got a phone call from some friends of mine in New Zealand that I haven't talked to in months. 
And they said to me, hey, we were praying for you today, and the Lord told us, you've gathered in a solemn assembly, and Satan has brought someone in to your assembly to try to destroy what God would do, but the Lord is going to remove them, and they will be removed by death. The angel of death is going to come, and by and the actual death of someone is going to remove them from this assembly. And I'm like, whoa, this is the second person. And my friend had driven literally all night to deliver that message and then hear again from another person. And I hung up the phone just thinking, wow, this is going to be interesting and see how this gets fulfilled. And within minutes, brothers and sisters, I would say five minutes, my phone rang. It was this person that was not on the list. And they said to me, I just got a phone call. My brother just died in a car accident. I'm sorry. I can't stay for the solemn assembly. I have to leave. Somebody died just to get them out. That's how jealous the Lord is for his solemn assemblies. That's how jealous he is for us to repent with our whole hearts. And I think of another one of the assemblies I attended. At the end of the the day, it was like Saturday. Um, It was probably, I don't know, 10 or whatever at night, and and we were all retiring for sleep. Because, you know, when you're fasting and praying for days on end, you you get kind of tired. I mean, you really do need to rest, and you don't stay up late when you've been fasting. I got to my hotel room, and the Lord spoke to me and said, turn on the television. And I'm thinking, what? normally God would say, turn off the TV, right? I mean, I'd heard that before, but not that. This time the Lord said, turn on the television. I'm thinking, whoa, that's different. So I turn on the TV, and it's the news channel, CNN, and they're showing a fire. This is like live footage from a fire that had occurred in New England at some nightclub where the band Whitesnake had been playing. You guys may remember the the incident. This was years ago. And their pyrotechnic display had literally started the club on fire, and, and the people panicked to get out. And literally on the news, there was a picture of all of these people that had literally fallen in a huge pileup, and then more people had crawled on top, desperate to crawl over the 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 mass of humanity, to get out of the burning building. And they literally were laying one on top of another from the ground all the way to the top of the door, eight feet or ten feet, whatever it was, off the ground. There was 50 people with their heads and their arms out of the building, but their feet were still, you know, their body was still in the door and inside the nightclub. And the firemen were literally trying to pull them by the arms to pull them out of this pile, and yet they were so smooshed together, they couldn't pull them out. And the Lord spoke to me and said, this is a picture of my people who, having laid stumbling blocks one before another, they have all fallen to the ground. And I was just utterly amazed, and I then later learned that the people that were on the television that were laying in this pile of humanity having fallen one on top of another, they were laughing. I mean, they were, they had like a, a, a grin on their face, like, you know, aren't we stupid, you know, to have fallen one over another. And I'm sure they assumed that the fire department, 
you know, which were, they were there. The fire department was trying to pull them out of the building. While I was watching this on television, I'm sure they were thinking, well, surely the fire department will, will get us out of this. But none of them got out of that pile. Instead, they exploded in flames. The building burned down with them stuck in the doorway, and their bodies literally, I mean, sure their feet began burning first, but they literally exploded in flames. A picture of the church, my people having laid stumbling blocks one before another. You know, we need to repent of those stumbling blocks, and we need to forgive the people that threw them in our path so that our hearts could be made made clean again. You know, we can't hold on to any unforgiveness. That's the reason why the enemy does whatever they can to get us to offend each other, because then they can, if they can trick us into becoming bitter instead of better from the trial, we, we turn bitter, and then we, we allow that offense to fester, and, and it becomes a seed, and it sinks deep into our hearts, and it grows a root of bitterness. And, of course, we can rationalize it and justify it, and we got all kinds of religious arguments for why we are what we are, but nevertheless, the roots of bitterness defile many, including ourselves, and that's one of the reasons for the fasting and prayer. And it's one of the reasons for the solemn assembly, because, you know, to a great extent, the things that we need to get out of us are the deep wounds that turned into seeds of bitterness and and became rocks of offense that we... You know, these rocks have cluttered up the garden of our heart, and our hearts have become fruitless. You know, the, the, the harvest of, of good fruit for the kingdom that God intended to bring forth from our lives has been frustrated by the rocks of offense that we've let accumulate in our hearts. And under those rocks are these roots of bitterness, and the whole garden can be overrun, and and these roots of bitterness lead to these nettles and these briars and these thorns. And, and you know, and then in our own denial systems, we we imagine that this garden is still a fruitful, beautiful place because we can't see clearly any longer. All we see is with the outward vision. You know, and, and so in the mind of the flesh, these look like beautiful gardens. And they look like, you know, the wonderful works of our lives, but when seen through the Spirit, they're just ruins. It's tohu and bohu, spiritually. Well, the Lord is going to redeem a remnant. And, you know, he spoke a word to me a few, well, a couple of days ago as I was praying about this message, and I heard the word restore, and, and I, I actually did kind of a cool, I pulled some really cool verses together, and, you know, God's wanting to restore his people, his remnant. He's wanting to restore our hearts. He wants to restore our holiness. He wants to restore our kononia, our fellowship with him through the Holy Spirit. He wants to restore us, not just to the, the anointing of the former reign, but he wants to actually give unto us a double portion. Amen of what's coming forth in the remnant in this time. Well, you know, well, maybe we'll do the message on Restore another time, Frank. 
Brother, I'm. you know what? I extended this program over a little bit tonight because uh, this has been one of the best episodes uh, of the Remnant Call. So, you know, Benjamin, just wrap it up however you see fit. Wow. Okay. Well, um, you know what, Frank? Let me. Can I put you on hold just for a moment? That's fine. That's fine. Go ahead. Folks, I just want to talk to you for a second here about the Solemn Assembly. And, and I know... Um, it's tough sometimes when you feel like I'm I'm not reaching the point of of tears and weeping and I don't feel it and, and folks I want to encourage you that it's okay you can confess that to the Lord see I've been in prayer at times too and I know that I should be more broken but I felt my heart kind of hardened but you just I pray and I just keep praying say Lord show me how I've offended you. Lord, show me how I've hurt you. And, and Lord, reveal this to me. And I, I just keep praying. And, and, and But you know what? If I keep praying and I keep seeking the Lord honestly, and I don't try to fake it, but I'm truthful in where I'm at. Lord, I'm not feeling it, but I know I've offended you. That God will bring it. And He's faithful. But the Lord sometimes wants to see here, are we really going to stick this thing out? Or is this just a, a momentary uh, you know, desire to see maybe some power. You know, sometimes even our prayers and even our fasting can be very humanistic. It's about what we can get instead of about what he's given. And if we can take the humanism out of our prayer and fasting, meaning it's not just about what you can get, but it's about drawing closer to him, you'd be surprised what God can do. And, and just because you don't feel those tears right away, just keep praying and confessing. God is so good at dealing with honest hearts. If he couldn't deal with honest hearts, Benjamin and I would be completely lost. Okay? Yeah. Because we've both messed up everything over several times in our lives. But we honestly come to God and don't try to, to, try to act like we're somebody we're not. We confess it. We're honest with the Lord. And when you're honest with the Lord, He's able to deal with it. And so, Brother uh, Benjamin, if you're back, i just sharing, yeah. you know, with the people that I know sometimes they don't always feel the tears right away, but just just keep asking the Lord to show you how you've hurt well, yeah. Him and how we've offended Amen. Him. And He will do well, it you know, gently. Frank, you can't, you can't fake the broken heart. Amen. You know. But I got news for you guys. The great tribulation that's coming, in the first day, you'll be weeping and your heart will be broken. It's guaranteed. The first day of the judgment, every heart will break. Every knee will be shaking. Everyone will be on their face. Praise God. And, you know, for those who do the fasting first, the Lord can bring that. It's the fasting that, that, you know, we have these denial layers in our mind, you know. I mean, we know what happened, but we kind of deny. We have buried our true feelings. We stuffed them on so many levels over so many years, and that was the only way you could survive an insane planet if you grew up in the average American household or you lived in an, the average American city, the majority of the people learned how to basically stuff their feelings. And 
and you know, and we we just we choose not to look at that which is too painful to see, and so we deny it, you know. And in, and in some of us, you know, the the wounds were so deep, the abuse was so violent, the violation was so absolute that it actually split our personality. There are people that do not remember what happened to them because they've literally been split. And they have literally disassociated. It's called disassociation disorder. They don't even know. But you know what? Through fasting and through prayer and through faith, and if we have the courage to know the truth, Jesus said you shall know the truth. The truth shall set you free knowing the true condition of your heart. And, you know, and it's not about getting blubber-faced. It's just that when you're really, when you are honestly perceiving the reality of our own condition, the, the impact of our lives on others, when you finally see it for what it is, you will. I guarantee you, you will weep until you've been until you've repented of it fully and then been forgiven of it, and then it'll lift off of you. But for most of us, we've got these sins, and they're buried. And we don't see it. We don't know. I remember I was, it was in a time of fasting a few years back, maybe two, three years ago, and I had been, you know, maybe, I don't know, 10 days out, you know. And for those of you that are, you know, going to join in fasting and prayer, some of you guys are going to do a day, some of you are going to do a Daniel fast, just fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds for three weeks. Some will fast for a few days. Others will choose to fast longer. And for those who do the water fasting or the distilled water fasting, you get out past day seven, everything changes. You want to talk about an anointing? Yeah, go fast for seven straight days. Spend seven days in fasting and in prayer before the Lord and watch what happens on day seven. The power comes from on high. And your eyes, everything opens up. It's amazing, the power of it. That's why, you know, Satan fights and resists so hard because he knows he's going to lose. But I remember in one of these times, the Lord said to me, I'm going to show you your sin now. You know, I, I mean, I thought I'd repented of everything. God... It was like he took a blinder off my eyes. Just, just Literally, like a blindfold had just been removed. And I just started screaming, No! No, Lord! It can't be true. I didn't... You know, I wanted to deny what I was seeing. It was that bad. And it, you, know, you know what God was showing me? It wasn't, you know... It wasn't the, the sins that you would think of, you know. It wasn't the, the sins that we would think, oh, you know, those are the big issues with the Lord. No, it was the way I had treated the people that I loved. And I had no idea. And when I finally saw, I was undone. And I began to scream, no, Lord. It can't be true. It's not true, Lord. And the Lord said, it is true. And there is more. 
I didn't need to see any more. But there was more. And friends, you know, when you get to that point in your fasting and prayer, where the veil is coming off your eyes, and you start seeing this reality for the what it really is from the Lord's per- paradigm, it will change our lives. It will pierce our hearts. And God will do a powerful work of restoration. And he says so in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 25. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts... How does God restore years? He's not just going to restore what the locust ate and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, the army God sent among us. He's not going to restore the things Satan stole from us. He's not just going to restore what the enemy killed, but he's also going to restore the years. I'm not sure how, but this is going to be awesome. And, you know, the disciples in asking Jesus about the ministry of Elijah, he said, you know, why, they said to Jesus, you know, why do the scribes and the Pharisees teach that Elijah must come first? And, and Jesus said unto them, Elijah shall truly come. He'll come first, and he will restore all things. You know, the ministry of, of, you know, Elijah from Malachi is going to be to restore the hearts of the people. You know, it's not the... It's not the pack of gum, you know, the gumball that I stole when I was, you know, eight years old. You know, I lifted a gumball out of a grocery store. I was a little klepto for a while. You know, and, I, and later in life, you know, I was really like, Lord, you know, how do I restore this thing? The store doesn't, you know, the, the business closed, right? You know, here I, I stole some gum, and, you know, how do I make this right? You know, and I really, I prayed about it. I mean, I felt like, you know, conviction on it and you know and, and I got the mind of the Lord and the Lord was like that's not on my list you know we, we are majoring in the minors and we are oblivious to what is most important in the kingdom you know everybody worries about the law you know, oh the law the law the law and the Lord already told us go and learn what this means I desire mercy Love one another. It's all about the relations. And I'm not saying that you should go and disobey the Lord. No. But I'm saying that in our natural mind, we can walk out the things that we think are the, the written word of God and the letter of the law killeth if walked out through the knowledge of good and evil. The religious-minded man is a Pharisee, and he's bringing nothing but death in his wake. You look at the ministry of some of these people, and it's, it's a body count behind them. No, the kingdom is about relationship first. Yes, of course we need to obey the Lord. But the number one commandment is the new commandment. You know, I've had Hebrew roots people tell me, there are no new commandments, Benjamin. Everything's in the Torah. I'm like, excuse me, you're wrong. The Messiah, Jesus, whom you want to call Yeshua, hey, that's cool. It's fine with me. He said, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Oh, only that much. How many of us focus on that commandment? Every No. We, that goes in one ear and out the other. But Elijah is coming to restore all things. And, you know, Jesus even went on and he said, Elijah's already come, but they didn't recognize him. I wonder if in this generation, Elijah will be here ministering among us, 
We might not recognize him either until the great tribulation comes. Then I think Elijah will probably be, become one of the two witnesses. And I think at that point, everyone's going to go, okay, you know, I guess we know who those guys are. But today, you know, could the ministry even be in the earth today and people not know it? Wouldn't that be fascinating? You know, the, the disciples again asked the Lord in the book of Acts, you know, when they spoke with Jesus after his resurrection, and they said, Lord, you know, are you coming now to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, so God's all about restoration. And, you know, the restoration, God's going to restore the kingdom. He's going to restore the earth. He's going to restore the holiness and the blessings to all of his people. He's going to restore everything better than it ever was. And he's going to first do it in the life of the remnant. You really want to be part of the remnant in this hour, brothers and sisters. You want to pay the price. And what does it cost you to be in the remnant? Well, you know, there's, I did a whole message on what it takes to be in the remnant, but just to give you a little brief overview, well, you, one, you've got to lose your pride. You know, you, the, being full of pride and being in the remnant don't really mix real well. The remnant are, for the most part, people that were poured out. They're not great people. The remnant don't think they're great. Because they're not, and they know it. And the scripture says they're the afflicted ones, they're the outcasts, they're the, the disabled ones. These are the people nobody even wanted. They weren't good enough to be asked to come back to the churches. They were the ones that were told to leave. They're going to throw that man out of here. I've been thrown out of a number of churches. I guess, well, since it was for speaking the word of God, that's probably a good thing. The remnants of the outcasts that the Lord gathered, he found them on the highway. And he said, I'm going to make these my people. I'm going to take these broken little people who the world thought were worthless, who the church even rejected is not good enough. I'm going to pick them up. I'm going to lift them up, and I'm going to do a work in them, and I'm going to make them into my jewels, and they will be mine on the day that I take up my glory. And so you want to be part of the remnant. Can't keep your pride. Okay, well, you know what? You fast and pray. You get together in a solemn assembly, and you get honest, and you get real, and you start confessing your sins one to another, especially the few that you were afraid to tell anyone. Yeah, those. You know exactly what they are, too, because you've never forgotten. You've never forgotten the sins that you've forgotten to confess one to another. And that's one of the reasons that those sins still give Satan power over you. And in the lives of the remnant, the devil will have nothing. That's why they walk through the great tribulation unhindered and unopposed and unharmed. Because the kingdom has already been restored in them. And you, brethren, Paul's writing in Galatians 6, you, if you be spiritual, if you find anyone taken in a fault, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, looking unto thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You know, the restoration of God's people, that is the Lord's will. That's his purpose. He doesn't go just looking for his sheep. He wants to heal their wounds and heal their broken bones, and he wants to restore them to the place of peace and of hope 
of faith and of love and of joy in a, and to the place of a relationship with God. So it's up to us whether we want to be part of this. But, you know, what is it going to cost us? Well, we don't get to keep our sin. You know, one of the things about the remnant is that, you know, you will, it says in Isaiah, they will look for the sin in the remnant and they will find none. The people that were chosen and, and the Lord brought them into the remnant, they've been through enough of the fire and they've, they've reaped enough of the sinful harvest that they'd sown previously in their lives that they've received wisdom from God and they now know that they don't want to sow the seeds of sin anymore because they know it only produces a bitter harvest. And there's no exceptions. They, you know, they finally figured it out that, whoa, you know, I just need to like learn to follow the Lord you know, and, and stop following the ways of men or the ways of the flesh. But the other thing is the remnant all fast and pray because the satanic bondage that has come over the nation and over the churches. And in many cases, you know, if you've been going to church, if you've attended church, you've probably picked up some of this stuff, you know. There's a transference that can occur. You know, everybody needs this junk broken off of them. And, and this kind can only be broken and only driven out through prayer and fasting, through humbling yourself, rending your heart and not your garments, turning to the Lord with all of your heart. And then the Lord says, I will hear from heaven and I will heal your personal land. He'll heal our lives, store us to the place where we're walking with him in holiness and humility. And then the Lord will be well pleased to walk with us. And then when he comes in the earth, in the visitation, in the day of judgment, which is coming soon, and he comes first to the camp of the righteous. He comes to his own house first. When he comes to your house, he's going to be happy. He's going to be pleased. And he's going to be rejoicing over his faithful little remnant. And he's going to leave a mighty blessing. And he's going to pour out a double anointing. And, and then he's going to send his angels and he's going to send his messengers to lead you back to Zion. And all of us will gather together in the mountains of greater Israel. And we will sing new songs unto the Lord. And it will be very well in the camp of the righteous. And the children that are coming with us, our little children are going to play soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. We'll have the little kids kicking the little ball around. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to play with them. We'll have that little, they like, all of them buzz around the little ball, you know. I'm going to be out there playing with the four- and five-year-olds. <laughs> it's going to be such a blessing. And you can come, too. And we're going to sit there and rejoice in the Lord. And at the same time, we'll be weeping and we'll be mourning for the sins of the people. And, and we will be looking on and seeing with our eyes the judgment that has come upon the wicked. And we will know that we would have been there as well, but for the mercy and the grace of our God. And then none of us will want to lift ourselves up. Every one of us will, will say, even as John the Baptist said, let me decrease. Lord, I need to decrease that you and your righteousness would
would increase in us because in ourselves and in our flesh, the best we got is nothing. The best we got is to empty ourselves. The best we got is the power of the cross to put to death that entire fallen nature that we could again become one with our God. We were never meant to do this alone. You know, the Lord told me, he said, I'm going to send you to my people. And I want you to tell them the truth. That's a big commandment. I said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do many of these things. He said, you can't do any of it. I can't do any of this. These messages, I'm not the, the one who has the inspiration for these words. You know, the works of the kingdom, I can't do them, and neither can you. Only the Lord himself told us, apart from me, you could do nothing. So we need to get reunited with our God. We need to get restored in our fellowship with the King. We need to be restored in the fullness of the anointing, and we need to have every satanic hindrance cut off and removed from our lives in Jesus' name. And then it'll be very well with the remnant. The world is looking at disaster. The church is looking at a fire they won't even believe. And the remnant is looking at a highway of holiness that is going to be the path through which each of us travels back home to the mountains of Zion to wait for the return of the great king. And for those of us who have been chosen to be part of the company that is literally raptured off the planet at the last trumpet, we're going to meet the Lord in the clouds with the company of the saints of the ages. And then the Lord goes from there on to Jerusalem to take back his city, the city of the great king. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you for listening to the little bit extra long program tonight. And, and uh, Frank, thank you for facilitating this as well. God bless all of you. Amen. Benjamin, thank you. That's a, a, an amazing word. Folks, the, I was just reading here as Benjamin was closing out with this restoration and the, about the 24 elders and how they had crowns upon their heads. They had been crowned by the Lord with glory. But when they saw the Lamb, it said they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy. They wanted no glory for themselves. And I feel that's a picture of the remnant, Benjamin. They, they don't, we're not looking for self-glory anymore because it's all about the Lord. It's all about what He's done for us. And folks, if you, as Benjamin could say, could only see how gracious God has been in your offense to Him, you would weep uncontrollably. God in His mercy, if you think about Adam and Eve, how He could, knowing that your sin caused the whole world to fall, I see Adam and Eve as almost the greatest picture of mercy I've ever seen. God must have bestowed more grace on them to be able to handle the knowledge of a sin like that. What do you think he can do for you? God is about restoration, but he wants us to stop carrying that baggage around that you've been carrying for so long. God, repentance is your way to say, God, I'm done with it. Here it is. I'm giving it up. That's what Benjamin was saying tonight when the Lord made it real to him. That was not the most obvious things he thought. It was the way he was simply treating others that that burden could finally be lifted. 
and that a new love could come into his heart, even for the way he treats people. We all the same way. So I pray, I want to close with prayer. And Benjamin, I want to ask, could you just close us out with a word, a prayer for healing? Because there are people right now, Benjamin, they're struggling. And they needed to hear about restoration tonight. And Could you just close us in prayer for healing? Yeah, amen. Amen, yes. Father, in Jesus' name, we come. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift up. I lift up the hearts of all of the people that have heard this program. I lift up the hearts of their families. Lord, all of these hearts, so many hearts, so many souls in the valley of decision today. Nations will be soon in the valley of decision, but the remnant has been taken there, Lord. And there's so much pain and so much confusion. Lord, I pray that you would speak a word from heaven. Lord, speak the word restoration over the lives of your people. Lord, speak the word restore over their souls. Let the wounds be be bandaged, Lord. Let the balm of Gilead be applied to the hearts of your people. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen them by the power of your Holy Spirit to begin fasting and praying. And Lord, grant them the wisdom and the discernment and the direction to gather together in small, solemn assemblies. And let it be ordained by you, Lord. Lord, you work out the details, who and what and where. Lord, I pray you would meet as your people come in obedience to your commandment, Lord. Hear from heaven. And meet them, Lord. Send your power, Lord. Send your angelic army. Deliver your saints, Lord. Deliver your remnant. And Lord, do a mighty work in us as we look to you for the restoration that you promise. We ask you to do these things, Lord, that you would be glorified. That we could be a testimony to your glory that you did this, Lord. In all of our lives, Lord, you are the one who turned every one of us into, into a jewel in your hand, Lord. And what you started with was garbage. Lord, we were fallen and we were lost and we were broken and we were dying and we were diseased and we were dying in our sin and we were dying in our blood. And Lord, you came and you found us. And you said, live. And you spoke life into us. And you said, receive faith. And we got, Lord, faith was given unto us. And you gave us your word. And you sent your witnesses, your messengers, your teachers. Lord, when we fell, you picked us up. Lord, when we were faithless, you remained faithful. For you always keep your covenant with your people. Lord, now we look to you. This hour is indeed grave. The hour is very, very late, Lord. We look to you and we ask you, Lord, finish the work that you began in these lives. Lord, strengthen the people by your spirit that they would have that they'd have the courage and they'd have the confidence to begin fasting and just put the food out of their sight. Lord, let your spirit empower their spirit in that Lord, that the flesh could just lose its grip over them. I command their flesh to be dead, that 
the power of your cross would bring death to their flesh and that their, that their Adamic nature and their solical man would just shut up and go back into the grave. Lord, let their spirits be filled with your living water and let the spirit man come alive in Jesus' name. Take the rightful place of authority and lead them, Lord, in your perfect will for their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Benjamin, thank you tonight. The Lord has been present. Folks, uh, please share this message with other people. This is an absolute must-listen show. God is in the business of moving, and he wants to move now among his people. Pray. Ask the Lord. Lead you to people that will do a solemn assembly. Find some brothers. Even it's two or three. It doesn't have to be a hundred. Like Benjamin said, just a small group even then. But maybe the Lord will move inside of a whole church. You don't know. You've got to pray, though, to find out. And God will lead in the right direction. With that, I'm going to say good night to everyone. Hey, I love you. God bless you. Yes, Benjamin. One thing. Can I just ask a question? Yeah. Of the listeners, if there were... If we were to organize a solemn assembly, uh, if, if you would be interested in coming, and it would be probably off a month or two from now, um, could you send an email to Brother Frank or to me and so we could get some idea of the size of a facility that we might need? Amen. Amen to that. Yes. Please do, everybody. If that is, if if you you know um, are feeling led to do that, uh, and you know we do need to know that. Um, I don't know where the Lord will provide it, but um, if God wants to do it, He will definitely do it. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for all this. Uh, my email is uh, remnantcall at outlook dot com, or um, uh, what is it? Uh, or email Benjamin through his website at um, benjaminbaruch.com. You can email him right through there. Uh, is that right, Benjamin? Yeah, yeah, that'll work. Okay, amen. All right, everybody. Well, God bless you, and this is Brother Frank and Benjamin from the Remnant Call saying good night and shalom.